Hi, I'm Dee Sterling. I'm a lover of language and languages. I'm a storyteller. I'm also a businesswoman and the co-founder of Center for Entrepreneurs. Welcome to my podcast, Double Espresso with Dee. Over coffee, a very strong one in my case, I will get curious with my guests about their journeys in life and business and how they practice living courageous, creative and interesting lives. So, hi everyone. Welcome to Double Espresso with Dee. Uh, I hope you're all enjoying your coffee this morning. My guest today, makes me very happy to say this, is the spectacular Tamara Gillen. Tamara, welcome. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very pleased to be here with wonderful you and a double espresso is go. <laughs> and, uh, okay, looking forward to this conversation, I know. Thank you so much. And Tamara, just by way of background for our viewers and our listeners, I'd like to... Um, difficult task that it is to synthesize a few points from your incredible legendary life so far. So you are a serial entrepreneur and throughout your career and your life you've been a warrior and a champion for female empowerment and equality in many different guises frankly. You founded and run two award-winning marketing agencies uh, including Cherry London, which has been in existence for many years, and uh, you are still at the helm of that organization. And we'll be coming back to all of that shortly. As part of your work at Cherry, you have spearheaded the sort of the partnership, the brand partnership, and the place that that plays as a growth driver for business. And you and the team have been responsible for some of the biggest, highest profile partnerships in the world. And I would like to visit the theme of partnerships with you because I think it's a very, very interesting one. Throughout your life, I would say, in every different aspect, you have really been a major change agent. And I think it's a consistent theme over uh, your life and your and your many years of, of working and building businesses. And you have recognised also through your own experience uh, directly and that of many women and people around you that Often for women in business, it can be a bit of a struggle growing businesses due to uh, funding issues and others. And so you, because you're an action girl, <laughs> decided to do something about this and really make the finance industry fit for purpose for today and for the future, notably for women and leaning into that very, very significant market. So like all great entrepreneurs, you saw a problem, you saw a need and you created a platform wealthier, which is now rocking and rolling. And I do want to dive in deep on that one and hear all about it. Lastly, for now, <laughs> you have won many accolades. You're a multi-award winner, speaker, an advocate who brings together business, media, influencers to drive change and make lasting change, importantly. You've been featured in everything from the FT, Bloomberg, right through to Vogue, and um, you're not stopping there. So Tamara, thank you really from the bottom of my heart for being with me. Let's talk about Wealthier. What was the genesis of that and how did it start? I have to say thank you. I mean, having had doing podcasts and interviews, I, I do a lot of introductions for people. I have A, never done one as good, I have to say. I sat there going, it's so you, so thorough, so glowing, more glowing. And as a typical woman, I sit there thinking, oh, no, no. But thank you that, from the bottom of my heart for having me and also saying, you know, such wonderful things. And it's as women, we are so hard on ourselves. We really are. We are doing an outcoming that it's so lovely to hear. So thank you. Of for course. For doing that. So the genesis of Wealthy Her. So Wealthy Her was born actually 
as you've said, I've always been a big, big champion for female empowerment. Um, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, but I also come from a really strong family of women. My mother has six sisters, the daughters of Eve, my grandmother. And I always believed that you have to go out there and you have to believe and you have to change things. And in this power of togetherness and Someone from JP Morgan approached me who was who was working in the, the female client initiative at JP Morgan and she said, right. Tamara, I know that you know you're a big champion of women. I've got this idea. Do you think it would be vaguely possible to create a network that had fi- big financial services organizations working together to understand women, to change the way that the finance industry enables and serves women? Right. And I love a challenge. So I said I know. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, and actually, you know, going to some of the things that you've talked about partnership, you know, what do we do? We, we believe in partnership. We got together some mighty women from across organizations, from within banking. We brainstormed what could our mission be? What problems could we seek to fix? How would we come together? And we did that. And Wealthy Her was born six months later. We had 12 leading financial services organizations from JP Morgan to HSBC, Barclays, Julius Baer, uh, Bruin Dolphin, all with us. And, you know, it was a really, we, we launched on International Women's Day, as you said. I know you did. Incredible. ST broke the story. And I have to say, I almost cried then as well. I was like, you know. Unbelievable. But can I ask you something? I mean, you make it sound easy, and I know it wasn't, but you did pull it together in record time. What was the magic there? Because it's no mean feat, even getting a meeting with someone in a major bank, you know, getting them to take the call, even if it's via a connection or a friend or an ally. So how did you manage to pull it together so rapidly? What happened? Was it timing? Was it because timing, as we know, is everything in life. What was the, the dialogue that sparked that? very rapid interest and involvement? So I think that involve, one of my things that I've always done with partnerships is if you can involve brands or businesses that want to collaborate in co-creating and people, because if you're part of it and you believe that you're part of it, even if it's very shaped and you have to shape this, these things because you cannot say, let's get 12 people in a room or even 20 people in a room from different organizations and come up with a plan. You need to drive it. You need to know where you're going, but you equally need to facilitate their their involvement and creation and I think that's a a number one like get people involved in what you're doing in a structured way because then they believe and they're already they're already half bought into saying yes because they've been part of it and then the second one is actually I think the power of the group but also moving the group because I think there was also a tipping point once we got um, five partners on board then the rest of the industry says we need to be involved we can't walk away from this 100% right everyone wants to engage and then have an out, have a timeline because if you just have, hey, we're doing this, would you like to join us at some point? That just, you know, people go, yeah, that's a great idea. I really like this movement. It's a really good idea. But actually having a deadline that people say, we will be launching. If you want to be part of the launch or you want to participate in the research, you've got to be on the journey. You've got to sign up. So creating that kind of structured outcome. And that creates velocity, right, behind something and impetus. So you got it all up and running within six months you know, news broke with the FT. I mean, what a moment, right? And, you know, as we say, it's so important to celebrate the highs as well. Because I think people like all of us and, and women notably, perhaps, although that may be too big a generalization, you know, we're on to the next thing. And we're dealing with the next issue, the next problem. We don't go, oh, my God, that was really incredible. <laughs> I'm just really being in that moment. So 
you get to that point six months down the road, what happened next? And, you know, you use the word movement, which is a word I'm very fond of. And it's a very different thing, isn't it, from, say, a campaign. You know, a campaign feels like something that's launched for a period. A movement to me is very much more about ongoing oceanic swell and gathering impetus. How have things moved since that early time? Because I know this is all still very recent. Yeah, no. So I think that one of the things I'm very grateful for is that we did have a big mission. So we always said our movement or our mission is about the economic advancement of women. It's about the financial transformation of female financial futures, whether that's, as you said, an entrepreneur, whether that's an individual investing for her pension. You know, we just said that we've got this big mission and we want to make sure that we work on two sides of that mission, which is we empower women with knowledge which gives them confidence to engage so financial education knowledge but equally it isn't all about just better equipping women it's also about changing the industry and I think always having that you know you can do something significant if you've got the a big sort of you know north star or a swell to go to but having the two sides was also really important Um, and I have to thank our partners because you know you know having made it you know worked and, and made it to the highest echelons of finance it's a tough industry it's tough smart people in a tough business and in fact we've been really lucky because they've pushed us as well so it hasn't just been us trying to to keep moving forward you know we have our partners together every other month and as a group we're saying what do we need to do next what is our next big thing to start moving forward what we're actually doing and we have done you know we've moved to a lot of work Um, we did a massive piece of research that we um, repeated in 2020 we did it actually of the year when we did it to compare against 2019 but we equally did it at the end of 2020 when we knew that women we, we would people were aware of what the effects of COVID are on their lives whereas in February we weren't we were thinking this is going to be over but who knew what what impact it would have on our lives our businesses our finances and what have you seen in the research you know what's been the shift since 2019 for example and your most recent research and who's it been with is that like a cross-section of women across the UK yeah, so it's been with about 2,300 men and women because right. you cannot look at women without understanding the differences and how things are the same or different for men and women. And then we also looked at women and men in the UK and then we looked at Hong Kong, Singapore, China to look at the differences between markets, cultural backgrounds. Super interesting. I mean, it was very interesting. I mean, we did find men and women are feeling less financially confident, um, which, you know, actually you'd expect that. And people have started to become a lot more mindful of their financial decisioning. So as it is a health driven, it has been or it is a health driven crisis. Actually, it's made women wake up and say, I, uh, women have always said the purpose of my wealth is to protect my family and my loved ones give me freedom but but it's about those I love and in fact if you suddenly feel that that has been threatened in a way and that money or financial management or smart savvy decisions can protect my loved ones women have said I wish to get more involved which is good which is great and that's why we sort of believe in this whole piece of education but equally speaking about education in a broadest way you know how do you talk to your children about money how do you talk to 100% how do you help them right how do you actually, because if you said to me, dear tomorrow, would you like to come to a pensions 101? I would never go. But if you said, how do you, know, how do you talk to your young son in an increasingly digitized world where money has become even more digitized as a result of COVID? I'm there thinking, 
I've worked hard, but I want him to value, I want him to understand. And so having right. and talking about getting psychologists involved, the, the, the psychology of money, money in relationships with partners, I've got it wrong all the way. How do we equip, you know, <laughs> equip people to protect themselves legally as well as just have those conversations in times of good, not when everything has gone to, to hell. Totally. So if we, you know, and I, and I know you were in growth mode and there's an awful lot happening across your different activities and initiatives, even from the recent conference, which was like a complete major hit with how many hundreds of people from all over the world participating. I had over, I had over 700 women, Hong Kong, London, New York, Shanghai, New Zealand, Blenheim, my town, where my mum and dad Yeah. Right. But here's the thing. I mean, you make it sound easy and it's not. And I know it's a graft. Can I ask you, obviously, you've got these financial partners involved. And, you know, I guess at one level, this is a very significant market because, you know, there are lots of women, there are lots of young women, uh, women of all ages, frankly. Right. And to your point, you know, we mothers also want to ensure that our children are educated and equipped to go out into the world and place a value on money and you know, a value on earning money and what that means and the engagement and all those fundamental values, I guess, that, you know, we hope to instill or manifest ourselves. And then, you know, our children can see them in us walking the walk, not just talking, which is something I've learned, believe it or not, from my children, even though I'm Irish and a talker, I've learned, you know, to listen more and talk less, frankly. But, you know, the, for the financial service uh, institutions, uh, these partners, there is a captive market. So in some ways, over and above participating in what is, you know, the right thing. It's, you know, and more than ever, we talk about the she session with COVID year and so forth. There's a commercial objective, you know, and money makes the world turn around as far as I'm concerned, among other things like love. <laughs> um, and also for them, there's a, there's a commercial objective, you know, because they're building their client base, they're selling more products and so forth. You mentioned the fact that when you meet, you know, they're these uh, partners challenge and push you as well. What has been innovative from that side? What have you seen thus far come out from the major banks, which has been one a challenge to you all in terms of thinking and, and just something new that wouldn't have occurred to you before? Oh, that's a toughie. I like that question. Um, I think you are completely right. And you touched on it before I answer that because it gives me time to think is that the movement or the mission is obviously around good and balance. And actually, you're completely right about the secession. And we have seen through our research that you do, we've got the, the four gaps. We've got the pay gap, which is widening. As a result, we've got the pensions gap because women's jobs have been more compromised or they've had to take right. a break with this juggling that's gone on, particularly in parenthood through lockdown experiences. We've got the investment gap where a woman is on average losing over a million pounds over the course of her lifetime for not Shocking. investing, uh, you know, in things like, you know, women start pensions later because we prioritise, we might stop them because we prioritise our kids' education or childcare. So there's this, this investment gap. And then finally, there is this um, funding gap. You know, we know that I think only 1% or 1p in every pound goes to female-founded startups. Um, I know, and it hasn't changed. Even at Centre for Entrepreneurs, the 10 years we've been at it, it still hasn't changed. And I constantly ask myself, sorry, brief aside, but you know, we talk about women entrepreneurs, why they're different from men entrepreneurs, risk profiles, all these different things. Women are as entrepreneurial. We know that. You know, all the data suggests that, but there are fewer, despite all our collective best efforts. All our best efforts. And it's actually on, on that factor. And, th and there is, and it's getting better, actually, and it's a bit, but it's not, you know, it hasn't been something that we've campaigned on, but we do know the leadership gap. And that is improving. That is improving. Right. 
But one of the things that I know, and actually that's what the She's Got This Summit was born out, one of the things I know through all of the impact or purpose-based work I have done, it's really easy in a good times for people to say, let's be good. Let's do this for business, but let's do it for good. It's hard when economically their businesses are compromised and none of us are immune to the fact that there are compromises on business. Um, And yes, we might have a boom coming out thanks to the savings that people made in the beginning of COVID, but actually businesses have been really hard hit and people start making decisions that aren't always, whether that's funding, whether that's about female leadership. And so actually one of the things that came out of that challenge that we were all talking about was this idea of, actually, let's do something to specifically spearhead female leadership because, you know, share the stories, whether it's resilience, whether it's reinvention, whether it's practical tips, you know, how do you manage a hugely compromised female dominant team through COVID? I have a very female dominant team. I know you do. It's hard because my team were compromised, my business was compromised, my, you know, and how do you manage and how do you reset this? And someone said at the summit, a group of exhausted people and then say, oh, yeah, great. We're all back now. Let's get on with it. And And it's not like that, right? It's not like that. And I think as well, you know, with the year that's been um, when people have been hyperlocal, there have been many struggles, even for people who, from a monetary perspective, were, were not, you know, stuck but it's just the challenge. I mean, you know it yourself, you know, with homeschooling and keeping the show on the road and running businesses and so forth. It's, there's been this existential fatigue, I think, across the whole world in some respects, and people need to rejig. But we're not used to moving around as much anymore, you know. We're not used to being out and about. We have to re-engage our facial muscles sitting in front of someone and engaging with them, which is very different from being on a Zoom, right? There are all these shifts. Do you think, um, you know, we do talk about women and leadership and Things are maybe shifting a little bit. I know when I started my career, there were very few women in very senior roles in banking and private equity, which was my space at the time. And it was very hard. So if you had, I remember uh, someone I, I, I knew who had a child quite young and was really on the fast track, but she wanted to work four days in the office and one day from home. And she became the second class citizen. And this was for a major bank that was saying the right things and optically you know, come across as doing things in the right way. But it's still hard because so much falls on women, right? And I mean, I am not a table bashing feminist or anything like that. I'm just, I want everyone to be happy. But these are very, very fundamental issues. Do you think today, even with some of the financial services institutions that are are partnering with you, do you think they're even addressing these issues within their own organizations? Because it has to start from the top, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, And in fact, you know, that was a big, you know, thing as I said that that she's got this was founded on was the fact that and actually what we're doing is we found women want to see more women in organizations like financial services organizations across the line from leadership to front office you know they want to see more women next gen people want to see more people like them it's a fact um but in fact getting it right isn't easy and I don't think they are all getting it right I certainly know I wasn't getting it right within my own business and I think one of the things that COVID has taught us is that and that was one of the topics of the she's got this conference what does work look like on the other side because it's taught us we can be flexible we can work from home in fact devolving trust to people because we had to was or did in many many instances bear great fruit and great outcomes however what it has also done, and I know from my own work with a, you know, my own performance coach, is actually I have no boundaries. And that was, a, you know, no one has any boundaries anymore. You, your computer is there. You work from the beginning of the day. to the It's a continuum, of the day. isn't it? There's I no mean, stop. literally, there's, there's no, no stop. 
right? And I think it's exhausting. People don't relax in their own homes anymore. You know, no, they don't. They, you know, I look, I look forward to some form of a going out so I can go out and come back. And yes. the other thing is, you know, it is not the nirvana that we all thought, and we need to write it back differently. So I think we've we've got this big opportunity, and you talked about innovation, but this big opportunity, and what we're trying to do, and that's what the one other chat, you know, one of the themes of the summit and discussion topics is let's talk about what that new work should look like. Let's share learnings as as these huge organizations go to try and write it back. Because it isn't going to go back to the way it was. It shouldn't stay the way that it is. We need to adapt, right? And also give people a comfort in that, right? So they don't feel guilty about having a different type of equilibrium between perhaps being part home base, part in an office and so forth. So Tamara, on post-summit and looking out to the next year, what are, um, in relation to Wealthier, what are, what are the exciting things going on that you are, you know, you and the team are really focusing in on as the big projects? Because you can't cover everything, right? And it's about small milestones creating, you know, reaching bigger goals. Yeah. So we are, obviously, we're moving, we, we moved to a place where we obviously adapted and became very digitally focused in terms of our virtual events and obviously she's got this was virtual and we launched the wealthy hair academy with michelle King, know, incredible yeah. amazing woman amazing woman but also some other you know nicole Soames, notable authors uh, you know amazing women sharing their knowledge and their learning kelly Hearn, amazing psychotherapist talking about you know, so we'll continue that work and now right. we're doing reinvention which is we've got our first one i think in two weeks the real in real life and virtual small oh my God, love discussion that. groups so that love we've got and, and you know we again we know people in manchester who are our partners within tilney group they don't want us to suddenly say yeah we're back to london thanks so much for being part of this vibrant virtual community and now we're all going to go back to physical events well so how do we create a model which has got little pods of discussion and connectedness in real life enabling people who can't to digitally engage, creating enduring content. So part of the big thing that we learned was from the summit that the team have been, or them, doing is actually writing, you know, getting those snippets and putting it into a mini class of five minutes, top five. Oh, totally. So useful, right? People can learn on the go. Learn on the go in a way that you want to engage. Um, And then the other things that we've been looking at is a... How do we take Wealthy Hair forward? Like, how do we actually, we know from our research, 89% of women want to invest sustainably, but also socially responsibly. That's about 12% more than men. And the definition of what good investing looks like for women is different to men. And they really dial up equality, representation, supply chain, as well as- 100%, as we all should, by the way, right? As we all should. So we, as Wealthy Herb, are developing what we're calling the Gen Her report and uh, quality mark and rating as as something that we're looking to roll out in 2022. That is super exciting. It's so exciting and we care so much. um, And we're trying to raise money for that because you don't go into that space and in the kind of future-facing investment. Of course, of course. And I'm sure this is going to be highly appealing to, you know, investors out there. So just one further comment before I want to dive in on your partnership work and life. Um, You mentioned the word reinvention, which is a word I absolutely love. And I think more and more people are reinventing themselves or they're having a number of careers. You know, the stats show that, and this is stuff I follow very closely, as you know, like for a young person, like a 20 year old today will probably have eight or nine careers. And when we started out, you didn't jump around because it wasn't, you know, 
considered to be appropriate. You know, there was a question mark if you moved every year or two. Now it's actually the norm. So I would love to see more of reinvention for women and for people, particularly women who've maybe taken a gap, been with their kids for a while, been very invested in their family in terms of their time allocation as well, and now want to get back into something. And I think, you know, part of what you're doing is giving people hope, right? an optimism that they can do that also with different role models you know it could be a younger person even you know we're all role models for one another aren't we in different ways um but knowing that you can actually you are surrounded by support there are people out there who will who've been through it you know we're not islands as such um so i think that's a very interesting theme which i'm sure is going to appear more in what you're doing so tomorrow talking about partnerships you are the queen of partnerships right so Let's go back to where that started for you and talk me through how that world's changed. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, humans aren't going to go away. Like our brains are not going to be replaced by um, computers anytime soon. So we need people. And, you know, I'm the people queen, as you know, and it's all about people and working together. Talk me through your life in partnerships and what it looks like today from when it started. It's a very interesting area. And I don't know, and I actually do think, um, and our mutual friend, uh, Sean, always said this to me, and, and actually her son came and interned and worked for me for a year, and she said, partnerships teaches you the business of the business. It right. teaches you how value is traded between businesses, and effectively that's what partnership is. Whether that's brand value, someone's got, they are the authority or they are the cachet, and you are this value, it is about trading value between brands or businesses to work together to mutual gain in the middle of that they have to do something that matters to people so you have to you know your value has to be relevant to the people that you wish to give it to of course the customer or the client and because I think my family were entrepreneurs I was always very involved in business and the money of even just money the value of business and where where there was value and I came to London like you when I was 24 I know didn't know a soul right I mean, seriously, all my money in Europe came with like about twelve pounds. Fortunately, a family had a bed sit, and they said you can use it. I was like, great, Um, and started. And I said, I'm going to work in advertising agencies. I'm going to work for a big brand like Orange, and then I'm going to start at thirty, which I did. And because you had a game plan, right? Because here's the thing. Sorry to interject, Tamara, but this is an important point. I think. and, you know, you see it with loads of people, you know, people that you mentor, you know, men and women. I see it even with, you know, kids that I, you know, are friends of mine or godchildren or whatever. You know, it's like, how do you make a game plan? And not everyone knows. So you and I often say, just get on the road, you know, get in the car and drive. And because it's about the action and the movement. Right. And it will take you to something. I so agree with you on that. I think I had a vague game plan that was by 30, I'd try an entrepreneurial venture. And I remember being terrified. It was a bit of Thelma and Louise on the cliff drive. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I, I know. Doing? Why am I doing this? Why right? am I? I've set myself this deadline. You know, I'm getting, I was getting, I'm engaged. I'm, I'm going to get married. What am I doing? Um, and actually, once you start, you start. And it might, you might not even be going where you thought you were going to go, but you'll go yeah. somewhere. Could be even better, right? Much better, even. Yeah, and I also think as well. Like then, I was naive and silly. I didn't know a lot. And in fact, if I'd known what I know now, I might not have started. So, and I see it's my big thing. I see of entrepreneurs is how long have you been working on the business plan? Just get out and do it. Yes, you have to have a plan. Just do it, right? Do it because the plan will be different. It will be different, and you've already missed the opportunity because you spent two years of your very organised planning that now is irrelevant. Get on and do it. 100%. I call it spending too long in the editing room. 
You know, that film that was going to be Slumdog Millionaire isn't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I totally agree. So take us back to that moment when you launched your first business. I mean, just what was that like in real time? Because it's never the glamour that people imagine, right? No, I mean, I was, and again, probably because I am an entrepreneur's daughter, somewhat of a chancer. I'd worked in kind of bigger agencies and I actually, and that's when Partnerships was born for me, I had just me and I had a freelancer and I had a fake secretary or assistant <laughs> me. <laughs> It was called Jane. It was me. Yeah, calling from yeah, the office of. <laughs> yeah. I have called in this office. It's Jane. Hi, it's Tamara. And I actually pitched an idea, and it was very partnership-based, and it was actually to Superdrug. And Superdrug, I said, dear Superdrug, uh, and I sent them a pack, and I said, boots out, spends due 10 to 1 in summer. Women spend a lot in summer, but why don't on beauty, whether that's going away, whether that's getting ready for summer, women spend a lot on themselves and their family for beauty and beauty and products. So why don't you create a campaign on targeting women going on holiday? Uh, Because six weeks from a holiday, we all say we're going to go to the gym, we're going to do this. A week out, we buy fake tan and we, you know, we sort of, you know, madly shop up. And then we've got, I don't, women don't want to take away. Uh, yeah, sun cream in my case. You want to take new <laughs> bottles that look lovely in the bathroom, and when you come uh, home, you need a pick me up. So we actually created this, and I'd already done partnerships with them. I'd already approached. I'm a big travel company for the time, still there, lastminute.com, so that every time a woman booked yes. the holiday, we could have a communication. Um, and every time a woman booked the holiday, she'd get a beautiful little bag full of products from Superdrug and partner brands who would be funding it, Procter & Gamble brands, Unilever brands. Fantastic. Um, so I'd spoken to Superdrug, uh, sorry, I'd spoken to Last Minute They Were in the Bag, and I'd also spoken to uh, Nat Mags to be in their magazines. And so Tamara with Jane and the f- part-timer wrote to them and I sent them one of the bags, <laughs> this is the experience for the woman. And I got a call from the marketing director. She said, come on in, I'd love to speak to you. So I went in and they spent a million pounds with us on this campaign. Oh and my God. Seriously? We raised, we raised about seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds of value. So it was a very, very kind of smart, and it was super successful on all of their ROI measures. Their suppliers paid for it. They had magazine media that they bartered, and suddenly I thought, this is where partnership. This is there is a huge opportunity in partnerships. It gets you into moments that you couldn't buy from a media point of view. It gives you things if you package your value together. Women, we had 10,000 women a day were signing up saying, please, can I get the super, super drunk holiday bag? Uh, incredible, right? What a success story. So it went from there. That was went the start, there, right? There were 25 people and I, and I was, you know, 30 going, oh my goodness, I've only ever managed three people and no longer is there Jane. There's a real Jane. And yeah, so it was, and it was a great adventure, you know, however, Three years later, maybe three and a half, four years later, someone went out of business owing us money and I had been terrible at the cash. I'd never managed the cash flow. I was not all over it and it actually toppled us. And it was a very, very, she went out of business owing us about £50,000, but we were small and we, you know, we were- Too big a hit. Too big a hit and it toppled us. And it was a very painful lesson to learn. And in fact, you know, it's something that I've taken those learnings and, and, you know, it goes in. What was the biggest learning from that? You've got to know where the money is. You've got to be relentless on the money and the cash flow. And you've got to, you know, and even even now, I mean, I know as a business, not with my financial partners, but actually in Cherry, you know, our big business brands are not paying us in a timely fashion. And you, that small Massive delays, right? Massive delays is being starved. So it's suddenly got even more kind of important again. 
But actually, the funding point as well has also is the other side of that. You know, if I had been more savvy about thinking about funding, we had a great business, we had Red Bull, we had Superdrug, you know, we had great brands. I could have looked at funding to make us a little bit more, you know, flexible for growth versus sort of going all out on growth without having the reserves. Um, and then I think funding in general is just an area where women, you know, we're not naturally strong on that kind of I'm valuable, my product's valuable, pay me, pay me on time, give me valuable investment for my business. And that's something I have worked on in myself, but equally you know, want to champion for, for women to know their worth in all areas of what they do. Totally. And also, it's, it's, it's such an important point, isn't it? Because especially when you're growing a business and the early stages, years, etc., you have to be relentless chasing down the money, chasing down, down the invoice payments and creating a reserve. Because often business, are, you know, I mean, you know, you have even if you have 10 employees, the money that goes out every month. Right. And you start again the next month and the next month. Right. And I think it is sometimes overpowering for anyone to keep chasing that and you have to have people on that who are relentless and following up so today tomorrow after all these years are you still as excited about partnerships i'm sure you are what are the big things going on in your life today and how has that changed in all this time if at all yeah i think that partnerships absolutely i'm even more passionate about partnerships coming out of this situation as i said there is a lot of value to be traded in all sorts of avenues business models are being reinvented you know, you can often have a business, you know, we've just approached and cherry by big kind of um, multi-business, but sort of centered in, in, in grocery, supermarket and a number of other areas. Right. They have a really trusted relationship with the end customer. And in fact, they could diversify or extend into life moments. And partnerships makes that possible in ways that they could never do. So I think that if you think of the full opportunity that partnerships create, I think absolutely. I think that we're creating, you know, that you and I are hopefully talking about our entrepreneurs program continuing. She's got this. But actually, if we can have the big financial institutions, the London Stock Exchange, the our financial partners, the British Growth Fund, you know, working together to make the industry more aware of what female entrepreneurs need, because quite frankly, the future fund isn't giving it to them. One point, well, I think one point two five percent of future funding went to female founders in the emerging. I know, shocking. Right. So what we need to work together. So I am even more. I believe that partnerships creates opportunities for us all to fix problems, but also realise commercial growth. I totally agree. And even even on the commercial side, it's about experiences, right? You know, now that people can go back into shops. You know, those that have been shopping for anything non-food and beverage related during COVID have been shopping online, me included. Not that I'm a big shopper, but, you know, I can't help myself. I love beautiful things, as you know. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, shops are working to create experiences for people, even if it's a high street store, let alone a luxury brand. So this experiential component, I think, will be more and more important how people feel even working into a high street bank they want to feel welcomed appreciated at some subliminal level right absolutely and so tamara talking about life you know you are a powerhouse you are you know even when you're having a less energetic day your energy levels are very high uh you've been managing and growing businesses in highs and lows you've launched wealthier and i know you have great people behind you but how do you do it and you have a little boy who's the you know light of your life how do you manage in life? You know, you mentioned about, you know, working on your own boundaries and everything. Like, what are your secrets for yourself or your tips that you can keep the show on the road? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very, very good point. And I don't think I've entirely got it right. I think that COVID has whooped my bottom 
Um, No, it has been a very demanding time as a mum, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as everything. And I think that my dad, and I've forgotten the the thing that my dad as an entrepreneur taught me. And he said, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And it's not. Totally. It is lonely. (laughs) It's lonely at times. It's meant to be hard, I say. (laughs) Yeah, it is meant to be hard. And, you know, you always have to put a positive face. You always have to fix the problems. And so often the buck in various forms sits with you. And he said, you've got to put back in what you take out. You have to feed your emotional side with your friend connections. You have to feed your body. You have to look after your body, your sleep, and you have to have some fun. And I know, and I forget, I remember when I first started my business, I actually didn't take holidays. I was stupid. And actually over time I learned when you take holidays, you'll be day three wandering along and you'll think, oh, I've got this idea or you could just come back at the end and you say I'm really invigorated to take this idea that I could have discounted forward and I think that coming out of this I just think we need to find some times to sort of almost recharge properly and I haven't worked that out myself I mean I was even just thinking to myself I'm doing this funding and I was thinking I wonder if it's acceptable if I went to like a Germanic spa in the middle of the Bavarian like even if it was totally do it wonderful I just feel depleted I was just like thinking and so I think that we need to purposefully focus on, okay, as we emerge, you know, it used to be swimming or this on a Saturday. What is it that we need to put back in, give ourselves a break? So few of us have taken proper breaks or holidays for so long. Seen, you know, for so long. So I feel like there's this, I'm almost thinking it as a rejuvenate, re-energize plan that I need to put into place. And it's not easy. Like I will all keep going to type, you know, and then I think I've got to rewrite the rules. I've spent 20 years putting in place prior to all of this and I've got to put them back in and that isn't easy and I want people to do that and you know and time with my son as well you know I'll you know again I have this amazing coach and she said to me so what are you going to do and the boundaries were about me and then she said why why would you do that boundary to finish on, on this day early and do this and I said it's for my son she said so you're gonna let him down and I was like no I'll never let him down right and so rethinking the reasons why we do things it's not just a boundary, but what's the reason for that boundary and what does that boundary let you do? Such a good point, right? And I, th- I think as well, because of the year that's been where we've literally been in our homes, you don't really take a break. You know, you, many people don't really relax at home, like watching, I don't know, the latest documentary on Netflix or whatever. It's no longer that relaxing and also gets the brain buzzing. And I do think as humans, we need to be in nature as well. I mean, I could literally give guided tours of every blade of grass in Hyde Park at this point. <laughs> um, but we need a different, we need a change of scene. It's that stimulus. You know, I know for me as, as a linguist, when I go abroad, even if I don't speak that language, I'm already trying to pronounce a sign somewhere or, you know, listening out for an intonation that I want to subliminally pick up. And I think we just need that other type of stimulus, right? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I don't even, I'm even to, I mean, you're making me want to go outside. I'm looking out there like, you know, I don't, <laughs> I think I don't even go down, I don't go outside. I just sort of look out the window momentarily and then carry on working. So I think if, yeah, for women, I think we need the great revitalization plan, rejuvenate and write it back because we are at that point. Next week we can go, go into a restaurant. We can start to book our travel, but I think that we all need to focus on that. What does my revitalization plan and, and rejuvenation look like on the other side? I love that term as well. I definitely will do. I, I definitely will. And I think the thing is too that, 
you know, we know from experience that when you step back out, you see things differently. Like the dramas aren't so dramatic. The issues can be resolved. One's more objective in the kind of solutions driven outcomes, right? As opposed to going, what am I going to do here, right? And that could be a major problem or something minor, but it's niggling you. I also think that, you know, 25 years ago or more when we started, you were in your office, even if you're off seeing clients, like office presence was really fundamental. You know, if you weren't there to 10 o'clock at night, you were a part-timer. And that has obviously shifted, but it's been replaced with something which is as onerous, you know, hyper-locality in one's own home and never feeling you can step back, right? Even if you do because you're with your family or whatever else it is. So it's, it's a kind of lesson to us all, isn't it? To just stand back out, to bring back more and that it's okay to do that. Because I think we do get too chained to the bumper. It's so, I do, I do think, I think you're completely right. We, we've got a new, we've got a new curse, which as you say, is that hyper-locality. And even I used to have a rule that I put in over years, but, you know, was leave my phone downstairs. I and mean, then I found myself in bed last night writing an email, rewriting a newsletter. And I said, well, what are you doing? The phone's not even allowed in here. And I'm not, I'm not watching Netflix. I'm not watching, you know, do Motherland. I am writing copy at 11 o'clock at night in my bedroom that had become sacred for so long. And now I've broken the rules. So. Right. So you're going to change that immediately. That's not going to happen again. Okay. Listen to me, woman. I'm going to hold device. you to that. The charging device is being removed. Therefore, I won't be able to take Remove the charge. But it, people don't realize. And I do think it has an impact on the brain, which is a whole other discussion. But tomorrow we have to wrap shortly and I could talk to you all day and we'll be getting together very soon. I'm super psyched. But a couple of questions that I'd love to ask you. One, you know, you mentioned that advice your dad gave you, uh, which has stayed with you. Um, I had this aunt whom I've, I've often told you about who was a nun, then became an entrepreneur. And she was really one of my key people in life, apart from my parents. And uh, she always used to say to me, nothing's going to happen if you sit on the sofa. <laughs> I get out and do some deals. But what you advise and give counsel to many what what's the piece of advice you would give to women out there today and men in the new world order i think if you i do think self-belief is really really important and i think that that's a very easy statement but i equally think we can go get other people if you're unsure and i know from myself you know even even you introducing me i felt uncomfortable um, and Sorry. Just like, you know, no, no, because <laughs> I'm good at owning, I'm good at this, or I did this, or this is me. It's not. And I think that one of the things I've seen, and I've seen that in countless women, and I've seen it in myself, is I don't necessarily think, or I don't believe, and I don't sell, put myself out there in the same way. And I always say, believe in yourself. And if you can't, like, for example, whether it's you are going to pitch for a job interview, or whether you're pitching for a pay increase, get someone that you respect to tell you what you're good at, because it's much easier. Such good advice. Pay. Well, I asked blah, blah, and blah, blah, who are really the leading fields in this. And what they say about me is I always do X and I always do Y and you can count on me to deliver X. And that is a very, very different statement. And it's the same from even pitching in pitching for funding. And as you know, I'm going and the wonderful Lara Morgan sent me her deck and said, and she's the queen, she's the queen. She said, I love your thoughts. The queen. I looked at it and went, it's an amazing deck. However, I saw in there just these, these subtle statements of her strength, expertise, experience. And I thought, again, she was just playing that out in a different way. And I thought, I haven't got that in mind. I haven't got, I built O2 Priority moments. I did. I, I, you know, I was instrumental in building, oh, I'm sorry, O2 Priority. But I didn't have it in there as a proof point. It kind of relied on me 
to sell myself versus it being inherent in what I was saying. So I think believe in yourself and almost have those proof points or those backups that you can get from wherever you get them, but have them in there. And so no, that is brilliant advice because, you know, it's one thing saying, you know, you can do it or reaffirming whether it's our kids or our friends, people we work with. But that practical point is so useful because I do think that, you know, I mean, I sometimes introduce people and they go, oh, my God, that's amazing. I don't recognize myself. Can you write that down for me? <laughs> but I just how I see that person. And but I think we get in our own way. And particularly women, you know, we just get it's molecular. We get in our own way and need to kind of remove ourselves from our pathway to move forward. So that advice is utterly brilliant. One last question from me for you, because this is all about coffee, of course. If you could have coffee with anyone, who would that be? Oh, I'm terrible. Someone actually said the other day, and it surprised me, and it's a rare answer. And they said, I said, what's your favorite reinvention story? And she said, Theresa May. And I a resilience story. And she said, right. Theresa May. And I think she has been incredibly resilient. And actually, I would love to talk to her about some of the lessons she has learned right, um, so throughout her journey. And it was one of those surprising ones, because automatically, there are women that I think, oh, I'd love to meet Kamala. I would actually love to have coffee with Kamala. I'd also put that in there and very successful and she's got it all to come. But actually, I think Theresa May had a tough journey and I would actually love to to talk to her. But actually, I also think it gives us learnings for how leadership perceptions of women as leaders need to change. So they might- Well, I think you have to put a call in. I mean, so interesting, but I think we have to put a call in for a future event and see if she would come and share, right? Yeah, because I, I, admire, I actually now I admire her even more, but I also realise what a tough lens. And I know this from the Kantar research. Women, the Reykjavik Index, which looks at the perception of women as leaders, has declined in some um, developed markets over the last couple of years. In tough times, we don't think women are leaders. So I think there's some really interesting learnings. And, and which is a big stuff, concern, right? Yeah. And even Michelle King said of Kamala, I'm so proud that she has a tough road. Let's see how she does as a female leader. So well, we're all backing her, right? We, we have to send her the vibes. So Tamara, we have to wrap, but listen, um, thank you so, so much. You are just fabulous and an inspiration. And um, I'm sure everyone have really enjoyed hearing your story as well. And uh, I can't wait to see you very soon. Absolutely. And Sean Sutherland, our mutual friend, says of, well, actually, both of us call each other and our good friends green. And I think it's fitting that you're wearing green. I happen to be wearing green. But I think that is so true blue in your spirit of everything that you approach as a champion of women and everything that you do with such grace and such intellect. And it is a privilege to be here. So thank you for, for inviting me. Thank you so much, my gorgeous. That really, really means a lot to me. All right, my darling. See you soon. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. If you enjoyed it, I'd love you to review and subscribe to the podcast so we can share these amazing stories with others. I'd also love to connect with you, so feel free to contact me via Instagram DM at D Double Espresso. Until the next time, au revoir.